Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who like to use a lot of words, yet say nothing at all. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Welcome to Wood Talk number 228 for March 23rd, 2015. I am not Mark Spagnolo. Mark what? Spagnolo. No, I'm not. Believe it or not, Mark has the sniffles. So he, he he's not here. It's just Matt and myself. I hope I'm- Nicole is holding his hair bag for him. <laughs> Anyway, on today's show, we're talking about sharpening router plane blades and minding the gap in cabinet doors, that is. All that and more coming up. But first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. That is Bruso Hardware. This is my turn to to talk now that Mark's not here. And I'm very excited to say that Bruso Hardware is a proud sponsor of Wood Talk again for 2015. And as usual, they're offering a special discount for new Wood Talk customers, listeners, whatever, they can use the coupon code WT2015 for 10% off on orders at bruso.com. And it works. I know it works because I used it just the other day. Would you get some knife hinges? You always keep talking about knife hinges. Well, I keep talking about getting them and I keep forgetting to get them. And then I realized that, oh man, I need to like install those hinges and I don't actually have the hinges yet. Is that why we keep getting the constant email of, hey, we still have that <laughs> Right, exactly. It's still good. I'm going to use my alias. Well, see, Bruso, they're, they're, they're smart folks over there because they had sent um, all three of us some, uh, just kind of a sampling of some of the stuff they have, but they only sent one of each product. So I have one knife hinge and I was all prepared to use that. And then it occurred to me, I might need two, <laughs> two doors. So, um, and not only that, I figured that I should get two of the same size. And the one they sent was really, really large. So I ordered a couple more and uh, they're just, they're just awesome. You know, it's, it's a cool company. The checkout process is easy. The hinges themselves are incredibly top notch. And it's just awesome because they came in the mail and I was kind of planning out how I was going to install them and what I need to do. And it is so refreshing to be able to put a marking gauge up against like the leaf of, of a hinge and have it be consistent thickness. Like you can set a marking gauge 
And it's the same all the way along the entire rabbit that you have to make. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> it just makes, it makes, you know, cause I think there's knife hinges have this reputation of being kind of one of the more difficult hinges to install. They're so precise and there's just no room for, for play in it. So, you know, why not get a, a hinge that doesn't require you to have variable depth rabbits throughout the, throughout across the, the, the hinge leaf. So I'm, I'm a big fan big fan of Bruso hardware and thanks to Bruso for being a sponsor again. Sweet. So we also want to say special thanks to Andrew Corcoran, Christopher. Yeah. Yeah. I I see your, your English uh, uh, literature uh, degree helped out there. (laughs) Yep. Actually, I just had something stuck in my throat. Oh, okay. Um, Nick Mueller and Kent Leben, they're uh, the, the, the German contingent. They're sponsoring us. They clicked on the donate button over on the left side or is it the right side of the Wood Talk page. And uh, thanks a lot, guys. You um, kind of help keep the show going, help keep the fresh flowers in Mark's dressing room and the tacos in Matt's dressing room. And, well, I don't have a dressing room. Well, but it helps with your Bianca or your Bianca for your your throat there. <laughs> My Bianca, Bianca is your assistant, right? Is that the one that <laughs> yeah she helps take care of Alex while we're recording the show? <laughs> right, that must be it. <laughs> anyway, you too can help out by going to woodtalkshow.com and looking for those donation links and preferably clicking them. That's, that always helps. You can look at them, but it helps if you actually click them. Absolutely. Well, hey, don't and, forget to remind them about the Wood Talk Show giveaway. Hey, that's that a right good now? point. That's a good point. Since we appreciate you donating, we want to give back. So each month we're doing a little something, something, going to throw something your way. So go to woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway and make sure you're signed up for that because actually we should be giving something away pretty soon since we're supposed to do that once a month, probably next week. I don't know. I hope I win. Yeah. I've been in so many aliases. I really hope I win. (laughs) Your chances are good. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, what's on the bench, Matt? Well, for myself, you know, the big thing I've been doing is once again, I'm starting to wrap up the whole tall dresser build. And I'm really at this point, as we're recording this, I am now down to just doing the drawers. Now there's eight total drawers to do, but the nice thing about it is it's one of those types of tasks where you can batch it out relatively easy. You know, once you do one, they're all pretty much the same thing. So when you cut the parts that you need to the right sizes and you get everything ready to go it's really kind of easy to batch those things together now a little teaser i don't know maybe sneak preview whatever you want to call it for folks i know there's a lot of talk about uh wanting to go with say uh dovetail joints for the uh the box and in fact actually the the plan uh that's available does show dovetail joinery but i I'm, I think we talked about this in a previous episode about what we consider uh, maybe overrated things or <laughs> overrated yeah. joinery techniques, tools, and stuff. And I am a, I'm not. A, I, I enjoy looking at dovetail joinery, but it's not. Um, it's not what I'm always going to use. So, right. So that well, for the, sure is something I'm going to be skipping. The chest has kind of a contemporary feel to it anyway, because you've got those turn tapered legs will look really cool by the way good well, job thank there you. thank you <clears throat> and the case itself is is very kind of modern looking so why you know why go with the joint that i don't know dovetails to me I, certainly they've been around for a long long time but when i look at dovetails i automatically think of older style of furniture there you go yep so why not why not go with it so what are you doing what kind of joiner are you using well my favorite one right now that i have used on several projects uh whenever it comes to creating the the drawers is actually just using a simple rabbit and then reinforcing it with some dowels 
Nice. You know, yeah, because it, it gives you the the strength, the rigidity. Of course, you've got the the, the shoulder in there. Uh, it gives you a really nice glue line and everything. But more importantly, by putting those dowels in there, it kind of does the same thing as what the dovetail joinery is actually going to do. It gives right. you that little extra support in there, that little extra strength to kind of keep things from falling apart yeah, as the, you're pulling the, the mechanical open. mechanical connection. There yeah. you go, exactly. And if you want to get really fancy schmancy, you could go with something like some sort of contrasting dowel compared to yeah, the side. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, but the only thing is, since this is getting painted, probably nobody would ever really notice. And it's it, and really when it comes down to it, it's just. I don't want to say it's easier, but I can definitely get way better results faster doing it this way, right. and I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I think it looks fantastic, so that for sure is the big thing for me. The, the only other thing, just another quick teaser, I did a, a shiplap back for the uh, the dresser, and unfortunately, well, fortunately, depending, uh, patrons of Matt's Basement Workshop will be able to see that one. Uh, the Wooby Level patrons, some of my favorites out there, although I love all of my patrons, uh, that's going to be coming up very soon. But that was a lot of fun, putting a little bead on the shiplap and having some fun with just essentially what are like what uh rabbit joints on opposite faces <laughs> right yeah it's always those little things that are so unnecessary but are most fun i think exactly and as i mentioned before to people i'm like part of the reason why i did it is because i can that's yeah. the main thing I can't, well i mean that's why we do this right you know we're you and i and, and mark i mean we're all hobbyists we're not granted i i, I do build pieces for customers like maybe for a year <laughs> exactly <laughs> or, or or lately for in the last four years maybe <laughs> but you know that that's exactly what we do this is our hobby this is why we do this so what the heck you know yeah, you know it. it got me thinking have you ever used those miller dowels sorry i'm still back on the drawers oh no no no, no actually no i haven't but i know you have and i yeah. was almost gonna kind of pick your brain on it because the other day i was out at woodcraft uh and i remember looking for those but then i kind of got sidetracked by other things but yeah i mean the, the they're step dowels if people aren't familiar with with it and they they seem to work pretty good i mean great concept with like with the shoulders and the glue and everything else there's a lot of gluing surface well what i found more than anything else i mean definitely the 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 step effect and the gluing surface makes it a really strong joint but more than anything it comes with a drill bit that actually fits the dowel oh that's perfect that was actually going to be my next question was you know i've, I've seen the the drill bit yeah and it's like several step down uh right. shoulders and everything on the drill bit but yeah I, I was really curious like is it like a little loose is it tight is it sloppy is it you know no it's it's tight in fact i want it i don't think there's any taper to it but if you sink the drill bit to the proper depth the the dowel of course is a little bit longer so you have to flush trim it later but it's a, it's a really snug fit nice. um and every time i do any kind of dowel like exposed dowel joinery like that without a, a miller dowel it just never ends up fitting right. you know and you know i've got a drill index with 64th of an inch you know bits every 64th of an inch so it's like okay well let me play with this and it never seems to work right yes, i don't know whether slopping it well and you know some of it is obviously if you want a really good fit a drill press is really nice um so you don't get kind of that side to side wiggle of the bit that could elongate the hole but i've never had that problem with a miller dowel they're right. just awesome nice. so yeah, they, they should sponsor us after that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll have to say something about it, or maybe better yet, our audience say something about it. That's when you there get you really go. great results. So, Shannon, what's been going on with you on the bench? Now, I see that you are, are working as a commissioner. Am I reading that right? I'm looking at this <laughs> yep. through my pop filter. 
Yeah, well, Commissioner Gordon can never get anything done. He always just picks up the red phone and <laughs> no, calls. So somebody so had to step lazy. up. Um, I um, well, it's funny you brought up kind of the little details of the shipwreck bat because that's where I am on um, this three commission order that I've got. I kind of worked on all three pieces simultaneously, getting you know the 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 milling done kind of all at the same time, and then doing some of the joinery and working my way through. So I'm down to the final stages because I fully intended to finish them all at the same time. And frankly, I intended on waiting until it's warm enough that I can actually open the garage door and not like risk suffocation and, and other bad things from breathing in finish in right. a closed <laughs> shop. And I mean, it's been so blooming cold all winter long. There's just no way um, I can, I can get proper ventilation and have the room warm enough to finish because what is it like 60 degrees is like the recommended bottom end for most of these finishes that we use. Right. Yeah. And, absolutely. You know, meanwhile, it's a good 50 to 60 degrees colder than that recommended bottom end. So <laughs> right. we're, we're finally, you know, kind of in the mid 40s now. I'm hoping that it'll be not unheard of to have maybe a 60 degree day in the next couple of weeks. So the, the, the plan, if you will, is coming together that I should be able to get all the little details and all three of these projects finished and be able to finish them all at once. But man, those little details take forever. Yes. Yeah. That's one of the things I always like when it comes down to small stuff like that, you look at it, you're like, that's not so bad. That's like a minute here. That's a minute there. But if you've got a whole bunch of those, suddenly that adds up to a lot of minutes. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I've gotten into the habit of, of planning out everything um, kind of well. In this instance, this is a commission that I'm being paid for, but I'm also filming it. So, you know, when you're filming something, you, you plan out your shot sequences and this is what I'm going to shoot here and kind of try to be as efficient as you can when you're building something for a commission, obviously you're keeping track of your hours and I have a pretty, well, not pretty, an extremely tight profit margin on these three pieces. So I'm (laughs) trying to stick to it as much as I can. And those little details, as much as I want to add them and several instances I've had to edit myself and say, look, this is ridiculous because I'm actually, if I do this, I will lose money. You know, there's no way around it. So I, I planned everything out, and this weekend I was kind of sort of a bachelor for at least one day. Heather had a had an outpatient surgery thing, so she was basically doped up and laid up all day Sunday. And I occasionally had to go upstairs and make sure she was breathing and see if she needed <laughs> something. But for the rest of that time, it was just me, you know. Right. So I was totally able to go into the shop. I, you know, was so excited. I had all day Sunday, literally sun up to sundown, and well after that to to work in the shop. And I think I got maybe a third done of what I had planned. (laughs) And and it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like, oh, the hand tools take slower. No, this was stuff that, frankly, I don't think I could have done with a power tool anyway. I mean, little finesses here and there, breaking some edges here, turned a couple of door um, uh, drawer knobs on the lathe. It was unbelievable how long all that stuff took. Oh, yeah. So I totally get it. Yeah. So now I'm thinking there probably will be no problem getting ready for finish when it's 60 degrees. It'll probably be more like 90 degrees by the time I get done with this stuff. (laughs) It doesn't matter how long I've been doing this or how many pieces you finish. I still underestimate how long it's going to take to do those little things. Add a bead onto this, you know, break this edge here, smooth plane that top, turn this doorknob, install this hinge, little stuff like that. Um, there's a, there's a fretwork piece on one of the shelves that I built and going in and like cleaning up the, the saw marks and the inside of that, those fret 
kind of pierced elements. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Shoot me now. You know, it was just yeah. taking forever. So yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. uh, best laid plans did not come out very well for me. Oh yeah. Well, isn't that the story of every, everything when it comes to stuff like this, I know exactly what you're talking about. Been there, done that, and probably will return several more times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's funny because it's, that stuff's fun. You know, you enjoy that, but then it's like it, little doses is fun. Then it just becomes tedious. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're looking at it in the big picture. Yeah, you're right. Just, oh my God. <laughs> Sweet. Well, hey, we got a whole bunch of stuff here in the what's new. Why don't we go ahead and jump right into this one? Now I see you're going to take the first one here with Tommy. All right. This comes from Tommy and this is uh, near and dear to my heart. This is um, uh, a post on Caleb James blog. Caleb is a, is a wooden plane maker. Um, great stuff. I've got um, one of his planes and a couple that I'm waiting on him to produce good stuff. But he's also um, a very accomplished woodworker. And he posted on his site, the embedded video of a recent rough cut woodworking episode. And um, this is where um, I keep calling him Peter Galbert. I don't know if I'm trying to be hoity-toity there. Pete Galbert. (laughs) I think Galbert is proper. That's that's right. This time, this time your hoity-toity is working out for us. (laughs) This this is too much. This is too much of my like classical music training where I had all this like French and Italian and whatever diction. Peter Galbert. (laughs) I think it's Peter Galbert. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Peter was on rough cut just like Mark was. And just like he had to wait like a couple of months before he was able to post it. I don't know whether this was legal or what, but it's on Vimeo. The whole episode is on Vimeo and it is really good. Um, I say that like I should be shocked. I know that Tommy, um, Tommy McDonald rather. And Hey, wait a minute. Tommy submitted this tip and it's for Tommy's show. Actually, just for the record, it was a different Tommy, but yeah, I thought that at first I'm like, maybe he's using yet a different. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. Self-promotion's allowed here, but yeah, Tommy McDonald catches so much flack for rough cut. And, and frankly, I think at this point it's, it's unwarranted because what do people really expect? Rough cut to me is entertainment. Rough cut is not how to make something. It's 30 minutes. And and frankly, having made several Windsor chairs, there is no way you could ever possibly in your wildest dreams make a Windsor chair from watching this episode of Rough Cut. But it is so entertaining. Right, the whole yeah. thing. I, I watched it at, at lunchtime today and it was such a letdown when it was over and I had to get back to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been that might have been something else going on there. But <laughs> It was really good. I mean, getting out of out of Tommy's shop, and you could see. Um, I no offense, Tommy. I don't think you're you're that good of an actor, but it was. Uh, you could see that Tommy was like truly, truly interested and like really excited because green woodworking and Windsor chair making in general is such a different process than most of us are used to. Right. And there was just a couple of moments where Tommy was just like, that is so cool. That's <laughs> awesome. You could honestly hear that he was just blown away. So I, I highly recommend checking that out. Um, Pete is an incredible teacher. He's an incredible chair maker. And, uh, you know, it was really well produced. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. All right. Well, this next one came in from Mitch and Mitch says, hey, guys, since this video is a couple of years old, I'm sure it's come across your screen before, but I thought I'd share it just in case. I present the Russian domino. Now, I know for a fact that I have seen this out there someplace, but this when I went and took a look at this video, this is like the first of, I think, two or three in a series about this. Really, what it is is somebody took a uh, a little trim router and essentially created a 
case for it, which will act very much in a similar manner to what you would have with the Festool Domino. Now, I'm, I bet there's some issues with this, but considering that it's a Russian video and uh, all the uh, the text is in Russian, uh, I'm going to wish Festool good luck in going after them. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it is still, it's, it's a really neat, we always see this quite a bit with a lot of the videos out there on YouTube where it's individuals coming up with a way to create something that's very similar to yet a, another manufactured tool or process available out there. And it's it definitely comes down to that. Uh, I can't afford this, but I bet if I spent the time trying to reverse engineer it, I could figure it out. So it looks like the results that this individual gets from it mimic pretty much what you would get with the Festival Domino. But I have a feeling by the time you put all the effort into creating this, and I don't know, I, I mean, this looks like it's a rather typical um, uh, trim router. Uh, I can't imagine putting a lot of money into it. Like, it's going to cost a lot to do it. It's just one of those things that, while neat, uh, there's a part of me that doesn't know if I would go quite this far to get the <laughs> results. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> the biggest thing about that video is the discotheque music. It's just this driving bass throughout the entire video. Right. You just you want to get up and dance, and you feel like you should be flicking the light switch on and off while you watch it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ivan, come over here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This next one comes from Barack. And I'm, it's different spelling, so I'm pretty sure it's not the president. Okay. You yeah. never know. Mm, uh, maybe. He says, next week, I'm going on a tour to see the Maagan Michael shipbuilding project, which I'm pretty sure I just butchered that pronunciation. This is a ship that is 2,400 years old. It set sail in 400 BC and never made its port. And it shipwrecked somewhere off the coast of Israel. And they um, they excavated, they discovered it back in the 80s and like brought the whole thing up and put it in a museum. And they are now going to completely, not restore, but they're essentially going to, well, they are doing some restoration, but they're going to rebuild it and make it seaworthy again, which should be kind of cool. The funny thing about this is when you um, follow this link, it lands on uh, a page and the first image is, I think it's like a 2,400 year old carpenter's mallet. Right. And like the, the, uh, I gotta go back to it here. The, um, the headline is, uh, the, the Maagan Michael ship will sail again. And the first thing you see is this mallet. And I, it, my interpretation was that was all that was left of the boat. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So we're going to build this ship based on this mallet. It's like, <laughs> all right, good luck with that. <laughs> Well, it's like when somebody builds something based solely on knife hinges that they get from Brusso. <laughs> right, exactly. I don't know who would do that. Sweet. Well, you know, speaking of mallets, perhaps this helps to uh, move this one forward. Maybe it's a good thing we have these next together. We got this one from Patrick, and this is a uh, YouTube video from Peter Brown's shop of, uh, on YouTube, which is how to make a mallet from milk jugs. Shannon, do you feel like making a, mal a mallet from milk jugs? First of all, do you go through that much milk? <laughs> You would have that many milk jugs sitting around in your uh, your house? Mm, no, not really. Okay. Wow. Right. Well, have you had a chance to watch this video? It's 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 pretty neat. One thing for sure is um, I only did a, a quick scan through with this one. I didn't listen to the audio, but I, it reminds me a lot of uh, I'm sure. All of us, and I know maybe I know for a fact Mark has too. Occasionally, kitchen implements will end up in the shop that probably shouldn't <laughs> be there. Um, no, never. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, this one uh, uh, looks like Peter actually has a uh, old toaster oven, and he's using that to help melt down 
all of these uh, plastic milk jugs so that he can form the actual head of the mallet itself. So it's it's a really neat thing, and to me, very much like the Russian Domino, while cool and kind of gives you a really neat effect, I don't know if I'll end up doing it, but then again, you never know because sometimes I get really bored, and we actually do go through <laughs> a lot of milk because we got growing kids, so. <laughs> there you go. All I got to say about videos like this is I'm glad that people like this exist. Exactly. Yes. You know, somebody's got to do this. Somebody's got to think, let me melt some milk jugs down and make a mallet from it. Right. I'm just wondering, like, where did the whole idea come from? And it's probably in the video. As I said, I haven't listened. I haven't watched it. So I I don't I didn't hear where Peter's uh, uh, where, where it came from, the inspiration for it. But there's that part of me that's just like one of those. Was the milk really that bad that he's like, <laughs> I am going to destroy you. Exactly. I'm going to melt you down and beat things with you. <laughs> Absolutely. That's some bad milk. <laughs> All right. This comes from David, and it is a story about – it's it's interesting article. It's a story about a, a box maker, like not like what we think of as decorative box, like a shipping crate maker um, back in the days of yore. And this um, – arboretum that had been developed kind of his legacy because he made boxes for shipping like um, botanical samples in. We're talking hundreds of years ago. Um, This arboretum was in a storm and it knocked down a bunch of trees. So they put together the, the curators or whatever, put together a kind of not necessarily contest, but they donated the wood to a bunch of different makers to come up with like a tribute. And it is cool. These guys have made a bunch of boxes in honor of this botanical box maker. And the the craftsmanship on this, these images is just incredible. Nice. Uh, it's well worth checking this out just to see, um, get some cool ideas. I mean, this is this is like Pinterest fodder right here. There's some really cool stuff <laughs> we're checking out. And boxes are always interesting because you can do so much with such a little space. And you can really let your like detail flag fly and all those little stupid, unnecessary things that would be really expensive to do on a full size piece of furniture. You can get away with on a small piece like this. Very cool. Very, very cool. You know, I feel like this next one, I'm not going to do this one very much justice, but here goes anyways. So this came in from Alan and he says, forgive me if you've seen or mentioned this before. I'm a couple of episodes behind in wood talk. Uh, David Marks has a video up describing the design and build of, of his Egypt-inspired tabula, or, or something like that. And that's actually Alan's uh, description, not mine. So if you head over to the, uh, the link that we'll have in here, this is really, really cool. And of course, with it being David Marks, there's some really fantastic details in here. He's going through uh, a couple of different processes where it looks like he's describing doing some uh, bent lamination. Of course, we get a neat sneak pe- or a sneak peek preview into the um, amazing wood cabinet that he has in the sense that like it's not even a cabinet it's a shed that's really the description where he has all of his amazing pieces of wood in there he goes into some details about what this ends up being is like it looks like uh, a, a table that has the the feet are actually duck heads but huh. they're they're really ornate duck heads and he even goes so far as to in the video uh describing where he got the the influence from some pictures from it and then goes into a little bit of description of carving out the duck heads. So it's really neat. Of course, the video is actually only about, it's just under 18 minutes, but in typical David Mark style, there's a lot of great detail and a lot of great information in here. So definitely worth 
coming back and checking out. In fact, I think uh, later on, Shannon, I'm going to stop talking to you and I'm just going to go back and watch this. <laughs> That's what I was going to do. <laughs> oh, well, in that case. <laughs> Love me some David Marks. Good Absolutely. Stuff. Well, this next one comes from Stein, and it is well, – this is going to give me a chance to, to work out my uh, my Swedish chef voice here. Oh, no. We're in trouble. It is it is a link to um, a Norwegian, Norwegian site about workbenches. It's a site dedicated to Norwegian workbenches. And it's, it's really kind of interesting because it is um, – it's about something called a skirt bank. Skirt bank. Skirt bank. Or a Hoovel Bank, um, which is <laughs> a Hoovel Bank is like a cabinet maker's bench. The skirt bank is some sort of like sticking board, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Okay. It is a really interesting design for um, a bench that has a very specific use. And in this instance, there's also a plane that's being used, and the plane is called an Urkshervel. <laughs> This is just too much fun. And that is basically like a, a tongue and groove plane, but it's got fences on either side of it. So it kind of traps the plane uh, on the on the edge of the board and the bench itself. The skirt bank holds the, the wood up on its edge and it's used for making like TNG flooring. And it's just really cool. You start to get an idea of all these different bench designs that were specifically designed for a very specific use right like this is not a bench that you know it's going to replace your rubo or your nicholson or your whatever german cabinet makers bench this does one job really really well and i could see in combination with the it could i could see how that would be you could turn out tongue and groove flooring all day long without even having to think about it but if you took that plane away i also could see this being a really cool way to specifically dimension boards and get the edges parallel right because the board you're planing actually sits on a stop uh that and that stop is adjustable and then the clamps coming from either side and hold it upright so you could plane one edge flat flip it over so that reference end is down and then the plane itself can ride on the jaws of the vice, and you could get it exactly parallel. Yeah, it so looks like I, a giant moxen vice to some yeah, degree. Yeah, it really does. It's it's uh, well, as Stein says, it's basically a pair of leg vices with connected jaws and a tracked plane to go with it. We're talking about like an eight or ten or twelve foot long setup here right it's just it's cool um lots of gratuitous shavings and i've actually been to this site before um norwegian scandinavian woodwork in general always has really cool stuff um it's it's very different from a lot of the other things we see in in western europe and even eastern asia and things like that they have their own they march to the beat of their own and up there well you know when you have like what 24 hours of daylight sometimes during the year i think <laughs> right. you, you would definitely do that yourself <laughs> you know my first impression when i looked at the um the nice bench thingy <laughs> i'm not even gonna attempt <laughs> to do it it's it's i i don't want to have any international incidents my first thought originally i'll be quite honest is i looked at this and went oh boy it's some sort of japanese saw bench or something yeah you know, i can see that yeah just the, the setup there but yeah so the video is really neat that they have for this and i also see that they have available a 3d model uh in the looks like it's probably like the sketchup 3d warehouse if people were interested in checking that out yeah uh so definitely really really cool and yeah, when you look at that hand plane, the one where it's like, it looks like it's two people because it's got two handles, one on each side for people to push along. Then you start thinking, what in the world are they doing? 
Yeah, you see that a lot. Um, and I think it, you see that even with um, like English planes mm -hmm. and German planes where like crown molding planes and things like that, where you do need multiple people or sometimes three or four people with a rope to pull the crown molding plane along. But yeah, they have a lot of like two two man type tools. Kind well, of you know, that's probably because they were like, you know, why be stupid and hurt my back when the two of us can do this together? Yeah, why and not? High five each other on the other end. <laughs> what I'll be really interested here is if, in fact, in my um, my attempt to pronounce these words, if in fact I have spouted obscenities to like the Norwegians and Swedish, and I don't even know if this is from Norway or Sweden or Finland or, yeah, I basically just offended all of Scandinavia. Yeah, um, and, they're coming for me. And once again, that's why I chose not to do it because I knew that would end up happening. So uh, <laughs> all your hate email can go to Shannon at. <laughs> all right. So what do we have up next here? We have, do we have the poll of the week? Or are we going to hold off until our, until Mark feels a little bit better and do, does this? Yeah, why not? Because we missed last week. We might as well do it. Last week we had a poll that uh, I find entertaining because it's always by Tom Ivino at Tom'sWorkbench.com, and it's how good are your hand cut dovetails and. I find it very ironic because Tom, Tom. Well, there's a picture on the post that Tom is is known throughout the woodworking world for the opposite of gap-free dovetails. His dovetails have speed holes so that they have less wind resistance because the air is able to flow freely between the pins and the tails once the joint is assembled. It's very nice. I hear it helps also with moths, uh, with whatever you have inside the drawers too. So if you are storing some of your finer clothing, uh, maybe that will help with uh, getting the moths in and out? Yeah, could be. As usual, we pretty much have, um, you know, in the middle, most people responded with, I'm fair to Midland, but getting better at about 24%. Some people say, and I have a good ways to go before I get good at another 24%. That's the bulk of them. What I always find funny about these polls are the outliers. <laughs> there are there are apparently two people that think they make Frank Klaus look like a rank amateur. Whoa, so, man. Uh, I want to see that one. Although there are... Um, People, uh, 73 people, 20% said, my hand-cut dovetails are awesome. I use a handheld router and a jig. So <laughs> there we go. We've got them all covered. Um, and this week, we have what is your go-to finish? So you can always check out those polls over at Mark's site, woodwhisper.com slash poll slash whatever on the left-hand side. You'll see it. Sweet. There'll be a link in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Just go visit. You know you want to. Yep. Awesome. Well, hey, we got some... What's, what's kicking back at us here, Matt? All right. Well, we got some really great kickback, and it looks like the vast majority of this... You know, I know it's been a week or so since we've had an episode. Now, last week we took off a lot to do with shamrock shakes and leprechauns and pots of gold and stuff like that and amazing <laughs> yeah. tacos. Uh, but in, in the previous week, we had a little discussion, which at one point broke into our discussion of uh, not necessarily using cutlass. And I think this... I want to say that this caused a little bit of confusion or it was a little bit of misinterpretation of what I, the three of us maybe were trying to get across about our use of the cutlass. So let's go yeah. ahead and let's, let's. Was, there let's, was definitely a tremor in the force. Yes. Like a thousand voices crying out all at once. Right. So let's do this. Let's go ahead and knock through these, these kickback real quick because all three of these, I do believe, has something to do with the cutlass and let's, we can. Quickly try to put something in there real quick and explain maybe where it is that we're coming from. So the first one sure. 
from Chris. I know this is going to be really fun. <laughs> the, the first kickback from Chris is, for using a cut list, I would be lost without it. Two years ago, I was in a coma on heart and lung bypass and had a whole bunch of medical issues when blood flow stopped going to my colon. Ugh, that's not fun for anybody. Yikes. Now, as a result, other hobbies I used to do, I can no longer do, and thus I needed a new one. Well, I found that scroll sawing, scroll sawing and lathe work were a lot of fun, but decided to branch out and making other items. I'm currently working on a first project, which is a porch glider. If I didn't have a cut list from the plans I purchased, I don't know if I could do this. Having the cut list made figuring how much wood to buy easier. And as a total newbie, this hobby is confusing enough with dados, rabbits, grooves, tongue, uh, tongue and dovetails, which have nothing to do with birds, pins, etc. And at least knowing how much wood to buy and how to lay out pieces on boards is nice so I don't waste my entire life savings on wood or more for my wife's benefit than mine, he says he has to admit. And maybe one day as I get better at figuring out what I need, it may not be so beneficial, but right now I consider it extremely important. Fair enough. Jeremy says, I never use them. I find it easier to do a buying list, the material I need to buy, and a parts list, the pieces I need to produce. A cut list just gets in the way, but like Shannon, I rarely use power tools, so maybe it's a hand tool thing. Oh, maybe. We'll have to open that can of worms in just a second here because, <laughs> because we have Aaron here who says, hey guys, about cut lists. I'm brand new to woodworking and have found that cut lists are just a logical way for some of us to get work done. I didn't even know about cut lists until this winter up here in southwestern Ontario. My table saw and miter saw and sander are all in the garage because they are the biggest dust creators. I store wood and do most assembly in the basement because at minus 25 degrees Celsius is a warm day in the winter here. Now I found myself writing down all kinds of parts I had to cut upstairs and bring back down so to save trips, I would get what I could done in the basement and then do as much in the garage all at once and then return. Sweet, Aaron. Well, thanks for that kickback. So let's go ahead and, and maybe discuss this real quickly and we... Uh, we could we can get really deep into this. Could it could be a whole entire yet another episode on its own. But I know for myself, uh, it's not a hand tool thing. It's not a power tool thing. I I think the misinterpretation, and I probably should go back and listen to the episode. But I don't think I said that I don't use them at all. Oftentimes, I use a cutlass purely as kind of like my my roadmap to generally get me in the area. Most of it is. Uh, suggested dimensions. I will actually cut to some of the dimensions that are on there, but for specific pieces, like for example, coming up with the drawers, when I go to do the, the inset drawers for the, the tall dresser, I'm not relying 100% on the dimensions that I've established in the existing cut list. Those are a very nice suggestion to get me in the ballpark for what I'm going to do. So I do use a cut list in the sense very much almost kind of like what is it uh, Jeremy was describing. It's more like a like a buying list. It gets me in in the approximate area where I need to be. It gives me an idea of what size pieces I'm going to be working with, but it is not the end all be all for the final dimensions on any of my components. Right. No, I I totally agree. And I did re-listen to the episode because I was concerned that we had like damned cut lists or something. Um, right. <laughs> I think all three of us can agree. We use them. We don't rely on them. Um, and, and Jeremy, um, I think I may have said this once before, twice before, but I, I refer it to it as a parts list. The problem with the term cut list is it denotes that this is the size that I'll be cutting it to. Right. And that is where you tend to get burnt is yes. you cut something and now it's too short. Um, or it's it's not wide enough for a process or whatever. But 
there is no way I would, uh, there's no way I could keep all that stuff in my head. You know, I've, I've got to write these things down. The funny thing is, is the original question was, do we use the plugin in SketchUp? Right do we, exactly. do we use software to automate the cutlass process? And our response was, no, I prefer to do that manually because it helps me figure out other stuff. Right. That was actually the question, but it, you know, it, it's a good point. And, and who was it? Chris has a really good point, especially for beginner woodworkers. It is a lifesaver. Mm-hmm. It's something that you absolutely need. And I wouldn't even say beginners for advanced and middle of the road woodworkers. We all use them. Um, it's just, it's a guide. It should not be something that you, you know, this is the Bible and I must cut everything to this. Um, it just helps us get in the, in the ballpark. Now, the one thing I really have to add, do not take your cutlass to the lumber yard. <laughs> right. <laughs> Please don't hand the lumber guy your cutlass. I just don't, t- don't ask me how I know this. <laughs> hmm, I wonder why. And in fact, I think you even mentioned that one before. I know I, I actually, one of the lumber yards that I, I deal with periodically, uh, it's funny because I remember in their literature before they said, have questions about what to buy? Send us your, your plans and your cut list. And I've noticed right. that I have not seen that on any of their literature since. <laughs> well, you know, there are, it's certainly not unusual for people working in the lumber industry to also be woodworkers, but it's also not terribly common. Um, a lot of these guys working on the lumber yard, they're punching a clock and punching out. And the last thing they want to do is look at wood when they're done. Right. Um, and, and maybe there's certainly enough stories of surly lumbermen out there that when you hand them and they have to, it's not so much that they don't want to think or they're lazy. Think about all the decisions that you make when you build a piece of furniture. And, you know, do, if I'm making a table, do I make that table out of three boards or one board or six boards? Um, you are asking that lumber guy to make those decisions for you. And there's no way. And frankly, the lumber industry also is besought with people saying, you sold me bad wood. People coming back saying this is defective and, and lots of claims because people don't understand wood. You know, and it moved on me or it buckled or something like that. So the lumber guys are constantly defensive and constantly afraid to make decisions for their customers for fear that they'll be held responsible later. (laughs) You know, um, we get it all the time with people coming asking us questions. And it's like, look, I can tell you how the wood's going to respond. I can't tell you how to install it. Right. There you go. (laughs) And and people people expect that. And I think that that comes from kind of the big box store mentality um, where you're selling it. You must know everything about it. And it's just not the case. I can't install, I can't tell you how to make that door and prevent it from sticking. Now, I I personally probably could because I'm a woodworker as well, but that's just not common. Right. And if you show up with your cut list, and, and this is where I think a lot of these surly lumberyard stories come from, people show up with a cut list in hand, hand it to the guy and say, I need walnut. <laughs> right, there you go. And That's man, the fastest way to not be asked back again. And And you know what? Matt, that that company that said send us your cutlass or whatever, they were probably referring to like house sized projects. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that that actually probably was was part of it. But yeah, it was they they do cater a little bit to the furniture business, but at the same time, yeah, right. they, they do handle a little bit of that. That was one of my thoughts too. Is I'm like uh, I'm not buying dimensional lumber. I'm uh, purchasing. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I have I have furniture companies that are clients and window door manufacturers and home builders and. You know, they'll come to us and say, these are the parts that we need. So can you get us lumber that, in other words, if your parts are six foot long and you get a bunch of eight foot boards, you end up with two foot off cuts that you can't use for anything. The sheer waste in that is terrible. Yeah. So we, we aim to get them six foot boards or 12 foot boards, you know, or 
13 foot boards. So there's not a huge amount of waste in there. That's what, that's what we're talking about when you bring your cut list or, you know, what we would call a takeoff where somebody comes to you and hands you the entire blueprints for house and says, we need to figure out the linear footage of molding and flooring and all that stuff. You know, there, there's a little bit more profit built into those things. You can afford to take a week to go through <laughs> blueprints and figure out the takeoff. Cause that's how long it can take. Right. So anyway, I, oh, well, I think we beat that, that one the, to death. I felt I always assumed the surliness amongst the uh, lumberyard people was due to all the splinters that they had deeply embedded <laughs> in their hands. Uh, but it has something then, to do with it. Yeah. And and the the negative twenty five degrees Celsius weather that Aaron was talking about doesn't help their attitude either. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Well, sweet. Let's go ahead and move into the emails. I know the two of us have a, uh, an email here. We take one for Mark, but I don't think he wants us giving out his answers that aren't actually his answers. Although that could be a lot of fun and makes him for some awesome kickback. <laughs> nice. Let's do that. All right. This first email comes from Alan. He says, I recently bought an old Stanley number 71 router plane off of eBay. The blade was badly skewed. Any suggestions on the best way to reshape it? I've ground it back to remove the skew, but I'm having a hard time figuring out how to best regrind and sharpen the blade. Mm. Uh, and I, I've corresponded with Alan V email. Um, this was actually quite a while ago, but one of the things you'll find this often where you find the blade is slightly skewed on a vintage router plane a lot of times that's been done on purpose you think about like a a skew rabbit plane or um any of those blades any of those planes that have a skewed aspect blade it cuts really nicely across the grain right right yeah i mean sometimes i'll even take like a block plane or something and i'll skew it slightly so i can take advantage of that that skewing action that happens most of the time when you're using a router plane, it's working across the grain. You're using the bottom, you know, cleaning out the bottom of a dado or something like that. Yeah. And um, when you skew the blade, it gets a cleaner cut. So a lot of times you found that the blade was ground at an angle. It also is easier to do it that way because you've got that that right angle and that post that kind of gets in the way and prevents you from kind of putting it on a tool rest or holding it firmly on a stone. So they found that you could get it right if you skewed the post just a little bit. So then they just figure, well, what the heck? <laughs> it's just grounded at a skew or over the years it got honed at a slight skew. So I would be a little hesitant to grind it back um, perfectly square because you might find that it works better skewed. If nothing else, try it with a skew for a while and you hate it, then grind it back. That being said, Alan had already done that when he emailed us. So um, I, I told him about that and said, sorry, um, <laughs> now that you went to this trouble. The, the biggest, the, the difficulty with this is that post that kind of gets in the way. And if you're going to grind it um, on a stone, that gets to be very difficult. And the best way to do it is to grind it flat across so that at 90 degrees so that you've got that slight um, flat on the edge of the blade and then do the rest of it on a stone and you need a really coarse stone. Cause then you can, you can skew the blade on the stone while the post hangs off the side of the stone. Now your okay. stone has to be raised up off the bench. Mm-hmm. So think about, um, uh, uh, Shapton makes stone holders. Um, DMT makes stone holders that hold the stone, but also right, raise it up about, you know, an inch and a half, two inches, and it's on some sort of non-slip base or whatever. You can certainly build one. Um, so the stone itself has to be up off the bench or right on the edge of the bench. So you can trail that edge, that post of the router plane blade off the, the edge of the bench. And then you can actually um, hone the edge. You could probably figure out some sort of jig holding mechanism or whatever to grind it. 
but there's so little steel on a router plane blade, even like the half inch wide router plane blades, it really won't take that long to just use a stone for that right. type of thing. So um, if it's badly, badly skewed, you can put it 90 degrees in the stone so that you can at least get the the aspect ratio on the end of the blade right and then just bring it down to a point on a stone from there. Or if it fits, I don't know if this fits or not, but it might go and get a replacement blade from Veritas. Yeah, I mean, well, they've got a ton of them now. I mean, they, there's like what a ha- – I don't even want to say half dozen or more. I think there's a dozen of them. <laughs> right. Well, and the Veritas and typical, they kind of like innovate things. You can detach the blade from the post – Yep. Um, and then they've got a little holder that comes with a router plane that allows you to to grip that tiny little blade and and put it in a honing jig or or on um, a platform at a grinding wheel. Right. So now, isn't the Lee Nielsen version a closer uh, in design to what the Stanley seventy one is? So I'm yes. wondering if maybe their blade might be a, a good replacement. I don't know if they have like the uh, uh, the same thing for when it comes to the sharpening that the the Veritas does, but it might be something to at least get your foot in the door on something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, Lee Nielsen always loads so slowly. I can't <laughs> wait for that. Can't wait for that. Um, There's something it is, it is a closer fit, so it, certainly you can look into that. Um, and if nothing else, it'll already be pretty close to as honed as it needs to be. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Not not to encourage uh, that type of mentality of just throw it away and get a new one right but that might be a good way to do it so. or yeah because I, I don't know if anybody's like me but sometimes in the attempt to uh restore the previous one that's when i'm just like you know what yeah i can't mess that up any more than i already have so it's time to replace that <laughs> <laughs> i save my money elsewhere Sweet. Well, hey, we have another question that came in from Dan. And Dan says, I just built some cabinets in a pantry and the cabinets were wide and required two doors on each opening. I could not find any resources on how wide to plan for the gap between the doors so that they do not bind. Now, unfortunately, I made the gap too wide. Now you can take inventory without actually opening the doors. <laughs> Yikes. But it's actually, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, exaggeration, but not really too far that off. So what is the rule of thumb when planning for the gap uh well really when it comes down to it i for myself uh it has everything to do with what time of year i'm building the project more than anything else i like i I like a good reveal in there in the sense that maybe i i'm really horrible sometimes with with dimensions but i'm gonna say uh probably more like a 16th of an inch between doors is and even like drawer openings like that reveal around the outside of the drawer opening or if it's an inset door, I kind of like having somewhere just just a smidgen around a sixteenth of an inch reveal all the way around. So for these two doors, when they're in place right next to each other, that's about, yeah, I'm going to say like around about a sixteenth of an inch between the two of them. And that that's always worked for me. Now, I know some people might look at that and go, man, that's really, really gappy. But I don't know. It's one that for me, visually, I find it appealing. I think it, it really gives a sense of, I don't want to say proportion, but maybe that's what it actually is. It just, it looks right. The main thing when it comes to this this rule of of thumb kind of a thing, I don't think there really is one. But again, uh, I've seen like some dimensions as small as like a 32nd of an inch, which always has me worried. Again, it it depends on what time of year it is. So like, as I'm, for example, I'm building in the winter, this is when things tend to be uh, at their smallest. They're, they're shrunken down to the point where things really fit in there. And if I haven't 
uh, compensated for the fact that things are going to swell later on when it gets warmer and more humid, then suddenly it goes from having a reveal to having nothing and having to get a pry bar to open the doors. Uh, so that's where my whole idea that it depends on the time of the year also, but, um, yeah, but in general though, if you were really to to measure it, regardless of the time of the year, it tends to be about like about a 16th of an inch is about where I seem to go. How about you, Shannon? What's yours? Do you have like a very specific one? I know some people even go so far as to like have like a shim or something. In fact, who was it? There was one person I know and they were using, um, you know, those little, paint chip sample thingies or like formica mm-hmm. samples at like the home center. They yeah. were using those as their uh, example for how tight they would get their, their reveals. Wow. That's pretty tight. I know. And again, it, to me, I'm like one of those, if I'm building that in the summer, no big deal. That would probably work out pretty well. Build it in the, in the winter, forget about it. Summer rolls around and that will now be a stationary piece. <laughs> yeah. Um, I use um, <clears throat> like a, a gift card. Like okay. a plastic gift card or a credit card would be more appropriate. Um, you get them in the mail all the time, like the fake credit card. Um, yes. and, and it's key because they don't have the embossed numbers on them. It's yep. just printed on the front. So it's perfectly flat. Um, I've got a bunch of those floating around. Um, and I use those and I'll actually like wedge the door into the cabinet with those little cards. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that it holds it in place. And then, um, uh, usually that's been enough. If I have to, you know, if I'm doing framing panel doors, I don't have to worry too much about wood movement, but right. one little trick that I learned, I don't know, I don't even know where or how or whatever, but, um, if you put, if you've got like two doors, um, and you're worried about the gap being too big to the point where, what did you say? You can take inventory of the contents right. while the doors closed. You can put like a little lip behind one door. Okay, good. I'm glad you said something. So it that. overlaps and, and it, it looks really cool because that door closes and the other door closes over top of it. And it kind of nestles in there nicely, but it also has the side effect of blocking any view of what's in the cabinet. Mm-hmm. So if you get expansion and contraction um, and that gap opens and closes, it really becomes unnoticeable. Because of the fact that you've got that little board, that little lip behind it, covering it up. At the same time, though, I mean, how much does a frame and panel door actually move? Right. Um, now, wait, did, did he say? Is he making frame and panels or he making um, socks? I don't think he said exactly what it was, other than the fact that it's a, a cabinet door for a, a pantry. So, Right. Well, I mean, we'll just assume that maybe it could be, worst case scenario, it's a flat, sawn, solid panel door yeah that's gonna move you know it could move a quarter of an inch on you depending on how wide it is and the really the only way to deal with something like that is to plan for the gap to be wide and have that little backer lip that that uh blocks seeing into the cabinet you know i i love that little backer lip i've used it oh, yeah. one or two other ones because it really does save your bacon when it comes down to it uh you know and it's really nice it's just because of the fact that it really does hide everything in there and on top of it depending on what you're using it kind of keeps little critters out too <laughs> hey that's nice yeah not that i've ever had that issue i just want to say because there's a wife's listen to that she'd like be like we have what and <laughs> i don't want to explain that one so critters what critters? critters what no i'm just i was talking about myself actually um so anyways though cool all right well in that case you know what shannon there's several different ways that people can support us do you want to tell them how they can do that you know matt but then i'd be stealing your thunder I don't know, but you're playing Mark today. All right, fine. You can click on the little recurring donation button or one-time donation button that's in the sidebar of the woodtalkshow.com page, or 
you can buy a fancy schmancy Wood Talk t-shirt. Oh my gosh, you look so good in that. You too, Shannon. You look good in them too. Yeah, I know. I know. I get wolf whistles every time I put one on. Oh, I hate that. I feel like it's a piece yeah. of meat. I don't know if it was probably because of the woman I was walking behind, but you know, <laughs> I'm going to assume they were whistling at me. Always assume. Always yeah. assume. Because I don't normally look that good, but when I put on a Wood Talk t-shirt, I look good. You do, definitely. Yeah. Really good. That's so you too, go up. you too can look that good. Awesome. And, and watch as Wood Talk t-shirt sales plummet. I don't want to look like that. <laughs> I don't want to look like Shannon and something like that. Yikes. You also can go to iTunes and leave us a review. There are there are lots of people that do that. And this is normally where Mark pulls up stuff and reads them off. And Mark's not here, so I don't have anything. Oh, man. We should just make one up. All right. We'll do that for the next episode. Well, hey, don't forget to remind folks that they should stop on over for the giveaways because we're doing a monthly giveaway. In fact, as Shannon mentioned at the top of the show, we probably are going to be giving that one away very, very soon. And then the next one's going to be coming up, and they're going to be amazing things that you're always going to want. They're going to be like stuff maybe from the guild or from the hand tool school or whatever I find sitting on top of my bench that I probably should get rid of. All of those good things. You can find those over at woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway. Now, if you have comments, questions, suggestions, there's different ways that you can get a hold of us. Probably one of the ones I'm going to mention right now will be the easier one. And that's either you can uh, leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is woodtalkonline. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. You can email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com, which is how we got all that great kickback today about our cut list and how we're too fancy schmancy to use them. (laughs) Or you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's shows or previous episodes you're gonna find those over at woodtalkshow.com all right good show matt hey we'd love to hear your kickback folks on how much you miss mark yeah or not (laughs) or not yeah (laughs) never know sweet all right shannon well i will talk to you soon i'm gonna get out of here because uh i have to go see how mark's doing and make sure that nicole's properly hydrating him all right, that's good. Yeah, hold this hair back. She's getting tired of doing that. I don't know. I'd say his hair's kind of rough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for listening. See you next time. See ya. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.